Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's happening all across the country. Canadians who had previously quit smoking thanks to vaping have returned to smoking in alarming numbers. It's a result of an unprecedented campaign by anti-vaping opponents to poison the public perception of vaping and it's working. Joining us today on a special edition of RegWatch Live is Daryl Tempest and Michael Gohagen. There you guys. Sorry about that. There's the right button. Uh, and uh, so Daryl, as you probably all know, is the executive director and lead advocate at the Canadian Vaping Association. You might not know Michael Gagan. He's the government relations expert uh, for BC and he's also the BC spokesperson for the CVA. What is very interesting about Mike is that he was the guest on our very second RegWatch episode. That was about vaping and that was four years ago almost to the month, and that was about the BC regulations that were proposed at that time. Mike, Daryl, thanks for joining us on RegWatch. Thank you. Thanks for so much for having us. Yeah, I know you bet. So look, Daryl, let's start first with you. Things have been brutal across Canada as a result of the so-called vaping-related lung illness. Fill us in on what the CVA is seeing across the country, and then drive us into what's happening in BC with the proposed flavor ban. Well, I, I think I would agree with you that uh, uh, these uh, unknown lung illnesses that have been coming up in the United States have really confused what vaping is and what vaping isn't. Since the inception of the CVA, what we've really tried to do is define what vaping is, right? So vaping is made up of four elements. What we're seeing out of the U.S., which has really confused Canadians in a large part, is that they've defined vaping as this uh, this complete unknown, where it uh, start to uh, bring in items such as THC, um, uh, vitamin E, and all these illicit products that have really caused a lot of challenges in terms of Canadians who are honestly concerned. Right. So that's really what's happened here is is that conflation of vaping into the THC, and if you look at uh, the track record, just even in the media you don't see that connection happening until roughly around last spring. So it, it is literally a 2019 kind of a, a phenomenon. Well, not only that, I mean, one of the messages that we've been trying to get across uh, uh, throughout the country in every interview that we've done is that if you look at vaping, it has over a decade of use, right? With none of these lung illnesses that have been attributed to it. And now suddenly it, within the uh, confines of the United States where you're not getting where public health is giving the information that really is important for Canadians and Americans in this particular context to understand what vaping is and what vaping isn't. So if you look back in the history of our, uh, of our industry, one of the things that we tried to stay away from was this context of e-cigarettes. There's nothing about vaping that would relate to e-cigarettes because cigarettes have thousands of chemicals and uh, are extremely harmful. Uh, vaping uh, for e-liquid is an important definition that I think that is critical for not only Canadians to understand, but also lawmakers. So as you relate to, um, and we start to talk about where flavors have been miscast, and where the CVA has really started to try to dig into is that um, uh, if you look at the conditions, we're going to look at three buckets here tonight, right? One is lung illness and where it's coming from. 
Two is youth uptake and how to address it. And then the third one is how important flavors are for adults to have a successful transition to um, uh, vaping, which is at least 95% less harmful than smoking according to the Royal College of Physicians. So let's get a quick overview um, of what's happening in the country. I, I le and let's not sugarcoat it. From what I understand, sales have been down in some places 60%. We're talking about actual vapors walking into stores saying that, you know what, after all of this information that has come out in the last six weeks, if I have to roll the dice on my health, I'm going to choose smoking over vaping. Well, that's one part of uh, where we're warning governments in terms of the public health impact. So it's not only about uh, uh, smoking, as we were talking about flavoring and what's happening in BC, is that if you look at what uh, public health risk is, there's, there's three parts to this, right? The first part is we're going to have people return to smoke. And we know what smoking does. It kills them one in two users long term, right? The second part is for every day that, or every four days that you smoke, you lose one day of your life. The third part is if we start to uh, uh, take away flavors from users who have made the successful transition to a far less harmful alternative, then what's going to happen is they're going to start looking to the black market as opposed to returning to smoking. And as they go to that platform, then we're going to see the incidence of lung illness that we've seen in the States start to ramp up as they get products from a non-verifiable source. Right. So that's one of the things that we're really trying to to not only talk to government about, but also public health. How has public health and, and that's really Health Canada on the national scale? We can we're going to be quickly talking about provincial here in a moment. What's your assessment in terms of how Health Canada has been handling this issue? And for the for the general public or for the public health professionals, the, or the anti-vaping opponents, let me be more precise, their concern is that Health Canada is not doing enough. Um, but I would assume that your perspective is a bit different. Well, of course, my perspective is different. If, if you look at the vaping regulations as they, uh, as they exist in Canada, uh, we have some of the strongest legislation and regulation as it relates to vaping on the planet. Right. If you look at COP7 and what happened there, where there was a ton of pressure for uh, for countries to sign off on banning vaping completely, Canada came home and said, well, we're going to make a decision and we're going to make it worse for Canadians. Right. If we look at uh, what we're looking for from Health Canada moving forward is that the critical element here is the relative risk. Statements, right. And the, the, the fact is we need to define vaping because one of the uh, issues that we found in North America is that vaping has been completely blown up into this, uh, uh, to this realm where you can't tell the difference between what nicotine liquid vaping is and what these illicit black market products are. So even if the, uh, in the interviews and all the conversations we've had with media outlets and, and, um, and, um, and newspapers across the country is, is that even if you say e-liquid nicotine, which has four elements, as we all know, which is PG, VG, nicotine, and natural flavoring, 
they won't carry that part. What they say is vaping. So cannabis vaping and THC cards versus the harm reduction tool that we have. So the key message that we've been trying to give to media is that this is an unprecedented harm opportunity in Canada to address the largest killer of Canadians, right? In addition to, if you're a non-vapor and if you're a non-smoker, why should I care? Here's the reason you should care. One, taxation is far less than the healthcare costs, 16 billion to 6 billion for non-smokers, non-vapors, so this address economic pillars. Two, cigarette butts are the most littered product in this country. So we're talking about our waterways, we're talking about our landfills, we're talking about our streets and the places that our kids play. And then uh, lastly, right, is that if we're going to address a sustainable healthcare system, it is the number one cost that we find across this country to address the number one killer and the cause of cancer and the cause of disease. So let me ask you this, because um, this is really the, the crux of it moving into action when government is taking action. So we have BC and here in BC, we have um, a opposition MLA, so not in government, uh, BC Liberal Party, MLA Todd Stone, last year during the initial part of the actually pretty early last year in April of 2018 so that's let me make sure I, I'm really clear about this this is before months before uh, former Commissioner Scott Gottlieb announced that teen vaping was an epidemic so his move uh, on this was really early and if you look at it across all of North America it's it's got to be one of the one of the earliest if not the first um, in terms of an actual real proposed ban. So, and that came out of, and I know it's a private member's bill and everybody says that, well, those are not likely to pass, but, you know, let's dive into that for a second. Michael, let me ask you this. You've been here on the ground in BC. So carve out who the players are, explain that. So we've got MLA Todd Stone. We have the health minister who's NDP and that's Adrian Dix. Give us some understanding of that. Okay, so what what's happened is I actually uh, uh, met the other day with uh, MLA Todd Stone right after question period, where in fact the issue of vaping had come up, and I had a, I had a very good, and I have to say, positive conversation uh, with with uh, with Todd. Um, and certainly, one of the things he's focused on the flavor bans uh, because he feels there it's difficult to try and discern like. What, uh, what's a flavor that's geared towards adults versus a flavor that's geared toward kids? Um, <clears throat> I think there is room to uh, broadly uh, uh, define it in such a way that you can't be referencing confectionaries and other things that are obviously, you know, like geared towards kids' things like gummy bears and things like that. Um, but at the same time, uh, we have to keep in mind that as, as the British government is now invested in, uh, the, and, and their studies have proven is that vaping is a tremendously positive way to get a large number of smokers to quit smoking tobacco and to take up vaping and thus save lives and save billions of 
of public health care dollars. Um, so we think that, you know, adults who are trying to make this transition, um, they, they are still able to access certain flavors. And, and Todd, to his credit, he, he brought up two competing examples. He said, Mike, I had a constituent in tears, a mother, because her 13-year-old daughter had started vaping. And what was the flavor that had hooked her? Mango. And he said, on the other hand, I have another constituent. He used to be a two-pack-a-day smoker. Um, and he was able to quit that habit and become and, and gets his nicotine via vaping. And, the, and his go-to flavor is mango. And, you know, and so, you know, he recognizes the contradiction in it. And I think what I think the message that I try to impress upon Todd is that if we're serious about wanting to uh, uh, keep kids from from getting addicted to nicotine through vaping, um, then it is absolutely insane to be selling these products uh, in convenience stores and, and gas stations, um, you know, where you can have there's the chocolate bars, there's the chips and there's some vaping stuff. The other thing is, is that we have unregulated equipment, unregulated liquids uh, coming in from God knows where, China, Pakistan, who knows, um, and, and be, being sold there. What we obviously think is, is, is a sane approach and responsible approach is that first and foremost, wherever you're retailing these vaping products, that it is done at, at a dedicated retail outlet that is adults only, 19 years of age and older. The other thing is, is that the equipment that is being sold is regulated, that the liquids that are being sold are regu regulated and inspected. And the other thing that uh, we, we impressed uh, upon uh, Todd, as, as well as later Ministry of, Ministry of, Health, of Health officials, is that we see a, a, an effort in terms of hooking kids where they're, where they're putting out um, uh, vaping stuff uh, that is of high nicotine value. So kids are getting a rush. It's get, it gets them addicted right away to the nicotine. And uh, we think that's reprehensible. And so one of the things that we're certainly talking about is, is there being limits on, on nicotine levels. Uh, and again, with the idea is we're not trying to get people hooked on nicotine. We're trying to get cigarette smokers to quit and, and switch to vaping because it is 95% less toxic. We're trying to save the taxpayer money and we're trying to save lives here. So, I mean, all very, very solid arguments to be made to government. The issue will be whether or not they listen. I just want to shoot over here to the website again and just make sure you guys can see it. And here again is Mr. Uh, Todd Stone, MLA Todd Stone. And the way that we framed it in just, you know, a short little bit when we posted the bill uh, was BC's Free Enterprise Party delivers death blow to vaping. And uh, that might sound a little, uh, no, it's actually about right. It would be a death blow to vaping. I'll get you to both to respond to that in a second. But the BC Liberal MLA for Kamloops South of Thompson delivered a death blow to vaping in the province with the tabling of Bill M210. Nobody cares about the numbers. It was Bill 174 there, Mike, back four years ago. And now it's, uh, this is basically an amendment to that legislation. And, uh, you know, what, what kills me here is just the the making of social capital that's going on with a bill like this. And, you know, you mentioned, Mike, that um, he's had, you know, some mothers coming to him crying. Well, of course he has. Crying hysterical uh, adults are exactly what's caused this issue. Governments reacting the way that they are is because of hysterical adults crying their heads off instead of taking any responsibility as a parent. Nobody talks about responsibility. The entire continent of coverage uh, over these last two months 
no discussion of responsibility. The entire epidemic conversation for 18 months, never has there been shaming of parents, never there's been shaming of kids, nothing. It's the, it's the, the vaping's fault. Uh, anyhow, let me just go back over here. So um, this is a simple line that's in this amendment. One line, a person must not sell or offer to sell flavored vapor products. That's it. If you look at, if you look at the amendment, it, it is about as simple, stark as you can get. So, Mike, is there room here to move? What have you heard from MLA Stone with regards to this? I mean, it's not even mentioning tobacco flavors or menthol flavors, nothing like that. Yeah, I, I know he, he, he does draw a pretty harsh line in the sand, but certainly in our discussions, we talk specifically about tobacco flavors and menthol flavors and those sort of things. Um, and uh, I, I, first of all, we are expecting legislation uh, to come down uh, probably within the next few weeks from, from uh, uh, the Ministry of Health and Minister of Health, Adrian Dix. Um, and uh, we're expecting that there will be some kind of limiting of, of nicotine levels. And we are expecting that we hope there'll be some uh, limiting of of, of locations, right? Uh, you know, whether, whether it'll be, uh, I mean, like I say, dedicated adult only shops, that's certainly what we recommendation. There might, there might, there might be a, a thing where maybe, I don't know, pharmacies are also allowed to, to sell this stuff. But the most important thing is, is that, is that the equipment that is being sold is, is regulated and safe and the liquids are, are regulated, inspected and safe. Um, and the other thing is, is that when you go into that store and you, you know, you're, you're a pack a day smoker, uh, you, you've, you've read the science, you've, you've, uh, you've gotten away from the North American hysteria and you've looked at, you know, all the scientific studies coming out of Britain and how the British government is completely behind and very positive about vaping, uh, as an exit strategy from smoking. Um, you know, so you come into the shop, well, you know, you've got equipment, uh, it's a, and, and for people, it could be a little bit intimidating. It's okay. Uh, here, what this does and, and where do the batteries go and all that stuff so it's a person taking them through how to use the equipment and how to use the equipment safely and the other thing is if you have you know lithium batteries are dangerous right you ever watch the tesla burn you can look it up on youtube i mean it is it's a scary thing so lithium batteries can catch fire and they can explode so you don't want lithium batteries floating around in your pockets with your keys that having been said most people are responsible in the way they treat uh, uh lithium powered electronic equipment but on the other hand, when you've got a shoddy, uninspected products coming out of China or wherever, you know, tragedy can ensue, right? And we've seen cases of that. So it's not just people getting sick because there's God knows what liquids breathing into their lungs, but also cases where people have been have been brutally disfigured because these devices have exploded. Because again, it's not it's not the regulated stuff that has ever caused a problem. It's this it's this stuff coming in. And so the other thing is, is that you talked about responsibility a little while ago. Well, government has a responsibility to protect the consumer. So I think, I think, I think regulation along the lines of what we at the CDA have proposed, I, I think government and the public will be well served by it if they, if they go that route. Daryl, let me ask you a question and in a, in a follow, it's a follow up to what Mike was just saying. And you kind of added some stuff earlier. Is the CVA not concerned with the fact that in your effort to get um, 
regulators on board with securing open system segment and access, so um, access and, and choice for adults. Is there any concern, though, that, that there could be collateral damage? When you're talking about um, batteries exploding, when you're talking about bad juice coming in from China and all of these kinds of things and not knowing what's in mystery juice, it sounds to me that that could just be playing right into the hands of opponents and their messaging is much the same. Well, I think what you're looking at, and it's a, it's an education opportunity for us for sure, right? And what you're talking about there is uh, really separate things. So if you look at things like uh, uh, battery safety, that was an issue that we faced in the past. Um, as you're looking at more closed systems where manufacturers are now building products where the, where the batteries aren't separate, you don't have that with the change in the pocket and, and some of those issues we faced in the past. And if you look at, um, I remember three years ago when I started or four years ago when I started, <clears throat> a popcorn lung was a big thing. You heard about popcorn lung all over the place. And it took uh, uh, not only us to educate uh, legislators, but it was Health Canada that came out and said popcorn lung is not a thing. Right? You can, let, let, me ask you, let me ask you this. You just mentioned Health Canada came out and said that. Has Health Canada done anything to get out to the public and, and defend vaping, a product that they legalized for consumers? and basically put Health Canada's stamp on it, that it was safe? Has there well, been any effort by, by public health to come out and assure the public that legal nicotine devices that are bought in Canada are safe? Public health and Health Canada are very much are two separate things. So if you look at most of the public health groups that are, uh, that are reporting these, they report provincially. So if you look at Ontario, for example, it was the health minister in Ontario that asked for these cases to be reported, right? We just went through a 40-day election. Health Canada itself did not have a health minister of the day that could really give direction as they were through the process of the election. I think what my expectation, and I think what the expectation of all Canadians should be, is leadership. I think that's what BC has called for, for federal regulations, uh, to better define what vaping is and what vaping isn't. Right. So in, in, in our view, in the CBA's view, is that vaping is nicotine e-liquid. It's not cannabis. It's not THC carts. So when we call on the government, federally and the governments provincially and our territory partners, which I don't think we, we talk about enough in their territory governments, is that you're looking at really four simple elements. One, adult-only access. These products should be available in an adult-only environment. So if you look at where provinces don't have advertising bans, we're seeing these in uh, convenience stores and gas stations and brightly lit signs. Uh, I just did a release where there was a balloon for a, um, a company that sells exclusively through convenience stores and gas stations where uh, it was right above my children's school, right, with a big balloon saying, fake me, essentially. Uh, which is completely inappropriate, right? So a national ban on brand advertising, right? We need to be able to communicate to Canadians that this is good for adult smokers to transition to a far less harmful alternative, which is good for smokers and for their families. I was a smoker. 
my transition means that I have four children under the age of seven. I'll be able to see their weddings. I'll be able to, to live a long life as opposed to understanding that for every four days I smoke, I lose one day of my life. That's my commitment to my children, right? That's a commitment from a lot of smokers to their children. These are compelling, right? Verifying age of majority, right? Any kid with a, uh, can get a prepaid credit card and buy these products, including THC cards uh, and everything they want to internationally, where they don't even have to go through a vape shop, a convenience store, a gas station, or any sort of gate, right? Our goal as a vaping industry, right? Whether you're a CVA member, non-CVA member, how the industry came together, right? You had an industry that was based up mostly of ex-smokers who were looking for a way to save their lives. And they took action before legislation. They took action before regulation to ensure that children did not get access to this product. Where did we see the youth uptake? We saw the youth uptake after the federal legislation where channels opened up and you saw the opportunity for others who don't understand the technology, who don't understand that this is built for adults, only smokers. So my question is, and I would uh, actually uh, uh, advise and challenge public lawmakers to walk into any store, any convenience store or gas station, in any riding in this country, and ask for a package of cigarettes in a convenience store, and see if the person at the counter even talks to them about harm reduction, even talks to them about the opportunity to reduce their harm. Well, I mean, that's definitely not going to happen. I mean, cigarettes are still at least, what, 35, 40% of, of the take for convenience stores? Yeah, well, and, and it, even besides the, the economics that are against it, we uh, here's where I challenge, and I've I've reached out to Rob Cunningham, um, and I've reached out to to others from uh, uh, from Heart and Stroke to uh, to Cancer Society to everyone else to have this conversation directly, because here's the thing: flavors very much have been miscasted as the villain in this story. The villain absolutely is high nicotine or high nicotine. Uh, uh, concentrations that are um, uh, that are going to grab not just youth, but any user who's like, hey, it's a Friday night. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to try a vape. And at 50 milligram, which is very misleading, because if you look at the packaging uh, from these pod systems that are available in, uh, in convenience store and gas station, they do it by percentage. So it's only 5%. Not understanding, it's 58 milligrams, right? I've we got, uh, got Daryl, just I'm going to throw this up on the screen here for our viewers and for you too as well, is uh, a slide from your guys' presentation, CVA's presentation, where it's just talking about your four key proposals. And Aaron, I just want to make sure you've seen that and our audience does too. Um, please continue. So uh, what we want to do is that we... If, if we look at what's affecting uh, uh, in the U.S., the CDC has made it quite clear, right, that of the verified cases, we're looking at over 70% uh, that, are, uh, uh, that are illicit, either THC cards, cannabis, uh, products that shouldn't be available to them. 
And as we move forward with this, after uh, over a decade of use and an estimated 40 million users of this product, we have never had a lung issue. So why now? Why in the States? Why in these specific um, um, uh, regions within the United States? The CDC understands where the, um, uh, where the illicit uh, product line is starting to run from and what these pods look like as they start to uh, push themselves out across a, a region. It uh, comes from illicit drugs, whether it's uh, uh, diseases, everything else. We understand what that looks like from a public health risk. So you can't have something that has been available globally for over a decade and then suddenly, under these uh, preconditions of being regulated, which is something that most Canadians and certainly the media doesn't understand and legislated in this country, that these are manufacturers that are producing products. And if we go to things like flavor bans, what we're going to do is we're going to either push people back to smoking, which we know kills one and two long-term, which we know is every four days that that person smokes, they're going to lose a day from their family, from their children, from their ability to be able to live their lives Right? and get on to uh, the healthcare system, and or, and this is another uh, big fear that we have at the CVA, is that they're going to say, I don't want to die. I don't want to go back to, to smoking. So if I need the flavors that are important to me as a user, I'm going to start moving myself to the black market. And we saw what happened in the U.S. with the black market. If you're not using products from a quality manufacturer and a quality retailer who can help detail you, it's a public health risk. Totally it is. It seems to me that it's absolute insanity to even meet them on the battleground of flavors. It's insane. Adults, there's, there's no actual scientific proof that a particular flavor is more appealing to a young person as opposed to an adult. And really, this is just complete total misdirection here no, uh, it, 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 Brent, if you don't mind i'll jump in and I, I i would agree with you fundamentally so if you look at the fact that uh flavors have been around for over a decade and youth uptake was not an issue right in 2018 what changed in the marketplace right one the chance whoa whoa, whoa 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 for our viewers just so we make sure there's no dog whistles happening here or, 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 or silent, you know, references. We're talking about Juul entering into the market and the other products uh, by Big Vape. Well, it, it's so, okay. So, yes, absolutely. But I think if you take it and expand it a little bit from there, right? So, uh, any brand can come into the, to the market now. So, uh, Juul Invite, um, and we can deal with those. Um, it really is a marketing issue as opposed to them being the, uh, the, the key culprits. I think where I'm trying to go here is that if you look at what's attracting youth, and I think this is what's important for, uh, for regulators, right, is one is promotion that is in front of them at all times, above the candy bar, um, in the convenience stores, uh, places where children congregate. Uh, the second issue here is that the high nicotine levels that were never meant for children, were never meant for non-smokers, are creating a next generation of Canadians addicted to nicotine. What the industry has always stood for 
right, is to be able to get those addicted to nicotine into a platform that was going to allow them to choose a less harmful platform, reduce their risk by at least 95%, not 95%, at least 95%, and moving forward, right, is that we're not saying that uh, that pod systems and, 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 and manufacturers don't uh, uh, have a role in harm reduction. What we're saying is we don't need it above the candy bars. We don't need the signs in the windows as the kids walk in. We don't need, like we've seen in Ontario, Christmas tree type of, uh, of displays. And we certainly don't need balloons, hot air balloons, going over our children's uh, schools. And if you if you look at that from its, uh, its fundamental perspective, and we'll go back to this uh, hot air balloon because it, it, it's a big issue with me, is that what happens? The parents start going into the schools saying that these are being marketed to my children. Right? They start getting concerned about uh, their kids taking on nicotine, which they should. This product fundamentally was meant for smokers who want to reduce their harm. That's why it was invented. That's why the industry grew organically. And if you go back to why Canada took the brave step after COP7 was to say that this product belongs in Canada. This is should be available to Canadian citizens. It was a brave step by Health Canada, regardless of the pressure that they took from the World Health Organization. Now, I do agree with you on that, but you went so far down that road that I must, as a duty to my own editorial position that I've had for four years now, one of the very first questions that I had for CVA, for people at CVA, um, because we first started in Canada, right? So, you know, I'd hear all the time from shop owners, you know, um, if all we do is just get every smoker in Canada over to vaping, and then, you know, if they decide to, you know, zero down on their nick and then eventually quit, and if that's it, and we just get everyone, I'll be happy to close my business and that'll be it. And, you know, as the incredulous, you know, 25-year journalist at the time, now almost 30 years, I go, well, wait a minute. You're building a multi-billion dollar a year business, you know, not just here, North America, worldwide, you know, 40 million vapors already right now, you know, and then you've got adults that could make a choice to decide to pick up a nicotine habit because you can choose to pick up a caffeine habit. In Canada, you can choose to pick up a legal cannabis habit. And so this constant demonization about nicotine, and I'm concerned sometimes, I understand why you have to do it, but I'm concerned sometimes about why the industry you know, gets on board with that so much because, you know, in the end, I think that if if there had been a full-throated defense of recreational use of nicotine 12 years ago, 10 years ago, potentially it could have been a different, you know, ball game. And, you know, toss that back at you because, you know, in 25 years from now, if there's still a vaping industry, which I'm assuming there would be, thriving and growing, every regulator and every anti-vaping opponent in public health is thinking, well, of course, there's going to be new customers because, you know, new people will be coming in. And that seems to me to be the battle here so much is, is they want to... Do you know, do you know where the battle is, Brent? Is that for every big tobacco company that's going to market and try to get their products into people's hands, so the vaping industry globally is going to stand there and say that we will make sure that you have a, a less harmful alternative. 
That's so, but do you catch them before they start smoking is the issue, right? So, like, if you catch them before they start smoking, then you're committing the, the, the heresy of, you know, getting somebody who would never use nicotine on nicotine through vaping. So that's the question, right? Do you, is the whole goal is to grab them? At, so, in a way, vaping is in business with big tobacco because in 25 years from now, the new clients will come from uh, big tobacco's new generation of smokers. So... I'm just throwing that out there because I'm thinking like the anti-vaping people who who despise capitalism, despise the fact that this you know uh, industry has grown like it has, and they see it as as just as evil, right? So if you don't if you don't embrace adults choosing for nicotine, then you're basically building your business on on new smokers. So I'll, I'll, I'll challenge your premise. I don't think you're thinking like the anti, uh, 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 anti-vaping people. I think you're thinking more as uh, the way that Big Tobacco would think about it. So Big Tobacco would say, this is a way for me to addict a whole new generation to nicotine. That is not how the industry grew and thrived. Right? People in youth, and give me one sec here on this one, Brent, if you don't mind. Not at all. Go ahead. Youth experimentation is going to happen for the rest of the time, whether it's from alcohol, whether it's from recreational drugs, whether it's from nicotine. Um, this has been a, an issue that hasn't come up since vaping has been a thing over a decade. This has been an issue that has, uh, since my dad was chasing me around my farmyard, telling me not to do these things, right? So I... Where I'm going with this one is that if you look at how the industry was brought to, to, together, right, it was mostly entrepreneurs who came together as one common goal, which was there were smokers that were trying to address the combustible uh, tobacco component that was killing them. And then they had an opportunity to share that with other people that were also small. So what my answer is to the Cancer Society lung, heart and stroke, is that if your mandate is to stop 45,000 Canadians from dying a year, if your mandate is to reduce the health burden, if your mandate is to make sustainable health care in this country a priority, that this is the pathway with uh, a high success rate, which NRT could never, never address. I can't be there, and a shop owner can't be there, and a manufacturer can't be there when a, when a young person or an adult first picks up a cigarette. What we can do is when they realize that this product is killing them, we can be there to educate them and help them along their pathway to save their lives. Well, you know, I agree with that. Mike, I'm, let's uh, throw a question at you here. And thank you for that, Daryl. Um, we're going to take a quick look here at a article, Mike, and I'm hoping you can see that okay. This yeah. is from the Vancouver Sun, on, uh, updated on September 30th. BC teen vaping plan coming within the month, says Minister. There are roughly 90,000 businesses in BC currently selling e-cigarettes and vape products, including local corner stores, convenience stores, and gas stations. They do not require a license, and health inspectors are stretched thin to catch anyone selling illegally to minors. 90,000. 
businesses in BC selling uh, e-cigarettes, that seems to me, Mike, to be an awfully, awfully large number. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, and that's the message that we've had. Uh, we've, we've also provided briefing materials to the minister's office. Uh, and, and in fact, I uh, was on the phone with the associate deputy minister from the Ministry of Health today and discussing it. And that's one of the key things we have is that if you're serious about keeping kids from getting addicted to nicotine, then you cannot have convenience stores and gas stations selling this stuff. And if you're, if you're serious about protecting consumer health, then it has to be regulated equipment, regulated and inspected liquids, uh, and, and that way we can maximize, and adult-only retail, you know. And, and I think at that point, you know, <clears throat> the only concern would be, are there enough dedicated adult-only retail to serve every community? And there are, I think, about 150 uh, throughout the province, both in, in towns and whatnot. But well, it's interesting to see what will happen. But I think the other thing I wanted to talk about was that with regards to this lung disease, um, one of the things that's come, come up, and, and this is why I emphasize it has, it has to be inspected, you know, vitamin E acetate, pesticides, metals in cheap cartridges, unregulated cutting agents, moldy cannabis, because keep in mind most of this stuff has been associated with cannabis and not nicotine, uh, untested product, uh, and, um, you know, undereducation of, of what was being consumed and, and, and the equipment being used. And people are just labeling that all under, oh, it's vaping, right? And, and like I say, I think, the, I think the solutions are quite frankly straightforward. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, we're keeping our fingers crossed that the government is listening to our message. We'll find out in a few weeks. So what, what could we expect here, Mike? Um, or would they actually pass MLA Stone's uh, amendments, or is this going to be something that's driven solely by the BC NDP government? Um, it, no, well, certainly the, the, the questions that have been asked in question period and, and, uh, and the private members, et cetera, that's all going to go into the mix, uh, and as well as the feedback, quite frankly, we're, we're providing to the ministry uh, and to the minister's office. So, uh, so at the end of the day, they're going to come out with their regulations. Um, we, you know, it, we, hope, we hope it's along the lines of what we're recommending. Um, and like I said, we'll find out in a few weeks. So there was an issue that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, just kind of re, you know, refresh my memory. During the height of the lung illness hysteria, what did the health minister say? Didn't he make some public statements that were, were quite off of reality? Yeah, I'm just trying to recall the statement. Um, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. Does anyone else have it? Daryl, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Well, there's uh, there's a few statements, so um, I'm sorry, Brent. I'm not sure which one you're referring to exactly. Well, you know what? If you guys don't have it at top of mind and I don't have it at top of mind, then we'll move on. That's just the best way to go. Daryl, let me... Go, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, let me ask you this, Daryl, um, because, you know, just hearing Mike uh, mention, you know, they're going to be coming out with the regulations. Yeah. And you've said the same thing. I want to kind of drag this conversation back to a kind of a national level in the sense that we just went through five years 
of, you know, through pre-HESA, then the HESA, then the legislation gets tabled, and then that was a year and, and a half almost, maybe two years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it goes through Parliament, it goes through the Senate, it comes back, it gets voted on, it gets passed, regulatory frameworks get made, the, the bill becomes law, it gets royal assent. I mean, we're talking about a real process here. And it was literally, uh, uh, became law in May of 2018. And by September, Dr. David Hammond from University of Waterloo is already like screaming that things are, you know, going crazy here in Canada. And by the end, by November, information's already being shared with Health Canada. And already in December, major stories are coming out, CBC, CTV and everything saying the epidemic ha of teen vaping has hit Canada. And in January, we're getting regulatory consultations dropped. They, the, the ink wasn't even dry on the, regula on the legislation, you know? So I'm just concerned that there's been a breach of process, like an entrust, because I trust Health Canada as a Canadian. I trust my government, even though I'm not a big liberal fan, unlike you, but that's okay. Congratulations on the election. So I, but I trust government. And so I trust when they go through this process and they put their stamp of approval on a product, they're going to be right there defending it. And sure, the lung illness is recently, I take your point on the election, but where were they during the epidemic? You know? No, well, it, it, okay. So let's, you covered three parts in sort of one question. So let's break that. Okay, yes. So one, we need to hold public health accountable. Right? They have left uh, way more than uh, uh, with the, they should have. So this is something we have to address at a provincial level. Right? Yeah. So to talk about products that have uh, made people sick without talking about the products that made people sick, without uh, uh, diving into the issues and uh, specifically talking about uh, Dr. Uh, Mackey and his uh, inability to identify uh, the products that uh, that should be recalled. And later, after all the fanfare and all the um, uh, publicity that, uh, that he tried to drive, um, in the meantime, quietly whispering, oh yeah, by the way, it was a product that came from outside of the country and we don't know what it is. It's not only inappropriate, it puts lives at risk. Dr. Mackey is putting lives at risk. And by perpetuating uh, the misconceptions, by perpetuating what I would describe as, uh, right, as it relates to vaping is everything, as opposed to what we have clearly defined, which is we're not e-cigarettes, there is no such thing. Either a cigarette or you're not. Vaping is vaping e-nicotine liquid period and stop so then what bring you have a follow-up or i'll go into the federal well, i just want to i just wanted to make sure that we really catch this because you went there strongly on on dr Mackey and his statements and his impact on canada and he's costed lot cost lives do you think or at least perpetuated illness for sure. And, and, and we called out uh, Dr. Mackey for sure on this. And, and so is many in the industry, right? Like the, the, if you look at the vaping industry at its, at its nature, 
You name me another business outside of the healthcare realm, the pure healthcare realm, that has saved thousands of people. Name me one other outside of the vaping industry that's been able to accomplish this goal, that's been able to address the largest killer. And so we're, you know, um, we hear Trudeau talking about we're going to take the guns off the street. How many gun deaths are there attributed in this nation versus how many people die of, uh, of, of, of health-related issues due to, uh, to smoking? We talk about dealing with the epidemic. Do you know what the real health crisis is in this country? The health crisis is combustible tobacco. And then if you look at when we're trying to address the issue, um, uh, when we look at advertising, these are tobacco companies with vape brands. So whether you talk about Juul, talk about Vipe, or any of these other organizations, they're tobacco companies with vape brands. They're not trying to address what the real problem is here, right, is that we're not trying to create the next generation of, of uh, Canadians addicted to nicotine. What this has to be is in an environment for adults who are looking for a less harmful alternative. We don't need brands, we don't need balloons, we don't need uh, signs as we drive into Toronto or Montreal, or well, not uh, Quebec because it's uh, banned and good for them, but to any of these other environments where it's like, you know, do this, do that. And the argument that I've gotten a lot was, um, you know what, people don't know enough about vaping. I'll tell you what, if you're a Canadian in this country, and uh, over the past four weeks, you've had a conversation about vaping at your dinner table in the last four to six months. There isn't a person in this country who doesn't know what vaping is. What we, our job is with lawmakers, with those in the media, and specifically with Canadians that are smoking, that vaping is PG, VG, nicotine, and uh natural flavoring that's it when you look at youth uptake it had to do with marketing if How you much, at, let me ask you about this that because because yeah. i agree with you obviously that marketing works otherwise billions and billions of dollars a year wouldn't be spent on marketing i mean, really mean that i mean people shouldn't be shocked to find out that advertising works but i wonder though because often it has seemed to me that the best advertising to teens for say the Juul product came from the media and from, you know, anti-vaping pressure groups. They, I mean, and, and Kellyanne Forbes was on our show last night and she said that she's never seen a vaping company ever, you know, take wonderful, these great looking shots of, you know, teens, you know, using devices. It, that's all coming from the opponents and the, the complete hysteria talking, you know, I mean, there's got to be at least some part of the news coverage and, and the whole reaction. Brent, I'll, I'll take it further than that. You've got your uh, internet influencers. You've got uh, uh, youth taking information very different than a couple of old guys like us, right? So if you uh, – not calling you old, Brent. Oh, I'm old. It's okay. <laughs> but – if you look at how these products were marketed prior, so in the U.S., one of the biggest issues that they had is they hadn't taken the steps that Health Canada has taken. They haven't regulated and legislated their market yet. So that we're being 
subject to the ills that another country, which is uh, being attacked by illicit products that are being attacked by THC products that make for good news stories. So no matter how many times we take the media back to 95% at least safer than combustible tobacco, they're like, well, what about the, the illnesses in the, in, in the U.S.? It, it, and you say, like, illicit THC cards, um, uh, uh, vitamin E, um, and then it, there is no pickup in those stories. And, and even worse is that there almost seems to be a refusal from the media to address that nicotine liquid is different from THC liquid. So if I talk to my friends across the, um, across the country when it relates to, um, uh, to their interactions, and I'm, I'm sure Mike will understand this one, is that every week, MLAs, MPPs, and MPs have families, concerned moms and dads walking to the office of their elected officials and saying, for the love of God, stop this. And they're saying, for the love of God, stop this, because their kids are getting hold of um, uh, vapes, which they shouldn't, right? They think it's because of mango. It's not because of mango, Brent. It's because 58 milligrams is enough to addict a full-grown adult. Could you imagine what it would do with a 16 or 17-year-old, right? We need to be able to control the product and be the gatekeeper. That is, the, that is absolutely the point that we're trying to get to, right, is that we target the 5 million, uh, 5 million Canadians that smoke. And you asked me a question, and I didn't answer your question. You said, oh, my God, you know what? Uh, the vaping industry says all we're going to do is uh, uh, address the 5 million smokers, and then uh, we're happy to shut our doors. You know what? Big Tobacco is not shutting down. I'll tell you what. When Big Tobacco shuts its door and it starts uh, stops trying to uh, shove uh, cigarettes down the throat of everyone across this country, then we'll talk to our membership about stopping standing up for Canadians and offering them an opportunity to save their lives. I'm happy to have that conversation with British Toma uh, Tobacco or any other tobacco company. They want to shut down. We're more than happy to do it at the same time. So let me ask you this question, and we're getting, just so everybody knows, and before I do that, actually, we're at uh, 8.05, so we're about an hour mark, and so we've got about another 15 minutes left uh, for us to go before we wrap up. And I want to take this opportunity, as I always do, uh, to thank our supporters, because uh, without them, we cannot do what we're doing. And, and CDA has been a great supporter over the years, and thank you very much, and plenty of CVA um, member companies too as well. So, but uh, the key thing for us here is to really say thanks to Premium Labs and Sammy Fogg. Uh, Premium Labs uh, is fantastic. Sammy was our first supporter. You, we would not be on the air with vaping if it wasn't for Premium Labs and Sammy. And fantastic support. And so all over, I mean, for a good year and a bit, um, it was fantastic. Oh, and for our American, uh, for our American viewers, Sammy was our first supporter that I said to said to him, I said, look, we've got to start covering American pieces, American issues. 
And Sam was like, well, yeah, but I don't sell down there. And I go, yeah, but everything that happens in the U.S. spills into Canada. And unless we address the misinformation going on in the U.S., we're not going to be able to win in any battles here in Canada. And I mean, that just keeps proving itself over and over and over again. And so a big thanks to Sammy and then Mark and everybody over at Stealth. Uh, man, great, good company, just came on and started supporting us and has got great things to say, not only about what our mission is in terms of our coverage, but also about our viewers, which is fantastic. They've really got our eye on our viewers and, and we really appreciate that. So for the rest of you, oh, and just to make sure, a couple of uh, logos I have not got up yet, but we've got some of our monthly rock stars that have come on here in our post hysteria uh, coverage. Valhan Vapes and New Beginnings Vapes out of the US. Oh no, actually New Beginnings, I think that's actually uh, East Coast, uh, Canada. And then of course, Flavor Crafters. Uh, John was one of our early supporters too as well. Jonathan Marshall at Flavor Crafters and Wendy at Stinky Canuck. Oh my God, Starlight, that's from the US. And of course, Vape Meat. And then some of our other one-time heroes and then our brand support legacy group, which you can see here. And again, without any of these companies, and you can see at least 30 or you know 35, I didn't do a count, have all been there for you, our viewers. Otherwise, we would not have been able to do what we do without them. All right, guys. So that's, uh, oh, yeah, go to support.regulatorwatch.com and dig into that pocket, find a few dollars, and kick that over to RegWatch. We need the help, and you'll feel better for it. All right, gentlemen, so let's start to move into wrapping up phase. And I've saved a tough one, Daryl, for you, because I know I've only thrown you softball so far tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've mentioned big tobacco uh, several times, just in your last thing, you know, throwing the gauntlet down with them. They're, they have they have organized into um, an advocacy group called Vita that's in uh, Canada that's just starting to come out. How is that going to work with CVA uh, in terms of uh, two advocacy groups of some weight um, operating in this market? Well, I think uh, uh, from a principal point of view, we would, uh, I, I don't know much about VITA or what they uh, stand for or what they're trying to do. Um, I think that if you look at CVA from uh, March this year, Right, addressing youth uptake. One of the things that we uh, we gave three prescriptive answers to uh, to the ministry in terms of how to address this. Right, adult only access. Uh, brand advertising needs to be restricted, and uh, double verified ID from when you order and when you get delivered. If I look at the crisis. Right? And if you look at what's happened in the last six weeks or the last eight weeks, I ask you this, right? Has the big tobacco brands changed any behavior? That they shut down the marketing? Are they putting out balloons above schools here in Hamilton, above my children? Do you see the signs that uh, in every convenience store here in Ontario? So I think regulators see this because we're not the only ones who go to the convenience stores. We're not the only ones who go to the gas stations. We're not the only ones who see this marketing. Lawmakers see it, right? They all see how children. 
they also have teenagers. So what I say to uh, Vita has a, a, a great group of uh, people who were at the start of this industry. Um, ask your membership, ask your board, ask your founders if we're going to address the concerns that Canadians from coast to coast have given us, right? Flavors have been around since the assumption of vape with no youth uptake. Next to that, was it the channel that opened up in 2018 that allowed uh, these products to be available among thousands of retailers across this country with little to no education? Or was it flavors? Flavors have been miscasted and they've never been attributed to youth uptake. Nicotine levels as an entry point. So if you look at the retailers, what, what did we traditionally see from 2015 to 2017? Three Nick, six, and 12. That was the vast majority of the industry. Since the entry point of big tobacco with vape brands, because these aren't vaping companies. This is big tobacco with vape brands. That's when we started to see the high Nick, 45s, 58, salts, things that get people truly addicted to nicotine. We are a harm reduction product. That's what the industry started with. That's what the industry thrived with. That's what government supported. And when in COP7, when there were, the World, World, World Health Organization was concerned about this, this is the solution that we were trying to create. 2018, you thought it. Got it. And that's a strong message, uh, Daryl. And I think it resonates too. I mean, my job's to push because I have you here. So I, there's, there's things that I know that part of our viewership, you know, wants some answers for, uh, from, from CBA and to hear these topics discussed. I mean, if it's not on this show, it's not on any show. So I do appreciate your passion and the directness that you've had in terms of answering our questions. Um, so, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you one more uh, question after I go back to Mike here for a second, because I want to bring us into BC for one last moment, Michael. So when we're kind of figuring out some of the numbers, uh, some of the people in the industry here in BC and I were, you know, chit chatting this 150 vape stores, uh, more or less, figuring out what the average take is a day uh, coming in in sales, um, number of employees and so forth. And we kind of looked at that and went, geez, you know, it, it looks like that um, there's probably $82 million uh, in revenue a year. Uh, and that may or may not be right, but it kind of made sense uh, in terms of discussions. So that's what the BC business would be. And when we, you know, backed out the numbers, you know, maybe 1,500 employees, that kind of thing, and their families, which is a lot, and about 68,000 smokers, uh, or vapors, excuse me, in BC. And um, what's going to happen in your mind, Mike? I mean, are, are the people you're talking to, is the health minister and is MLA Stone, are they even evaluating uh, the issue here? Because... If it's only just about flavors and nicotine, is it not about the business, the taxes, the employment, 
and and 68,000 vapors if if just a small percentage of them let's say 10% uh, you know you're looking at 6800 people going back to smoking i mean that's a disaster absolutely and that's a that's a disaster for those 68,000 uh, people that's a disaster for the taxpayer and our healthcare system because that's a huge cost uh, our public healthcare system i mean as a taxpayer thank thank someone when you see them vaping because if they were smoking cigarettes uh, you know that, that's that's more money out the window uh, for uh, in terms of healthcare. Um, certainly, that is one of the positives of this is that given the four simple ingredients that go into uh, uh, you know proper vaping liquids, um, there's a real ability to and there has developed a cottage industry of different are. Um, producing different liquids with different flavors and whatever, and they take great pride in the purity of it because, um, as has been pointed out, this this is an industry that comes from a tradition of wanting to quit uh, cigarette smoking, that hates big tobacco, um, you know, sees them as the antichrist, and rightly so, and, and certainly sees, uh, you know, these, these big companies that they've either acquired or started and very much in keeping in keeping with that, and their insidious marketing uh, and and the high nicotine. I mean, this is I mean, this is, is in the corporate world or what have you. I mean, this is as good close as you can get between good versus evil. Uh, not a lot of gray here. Um, and so that having been said, you know, there is this wonderful opportunity for where you can have you know these companies again producing product that's regulated and inspected uh, in order to ensure the safety to the consumer. Uh, 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 you know, ha happening in different communities uh, in BC, or or even being marketed to other provinces and what have you. I mean, and yes, as you pointed out, jobs, and then of course there's those retailing jobs that go along with it. I'd much rather see the manufacturing and retailing jobs here than than God knows what coming over from from China or or being sent via you know UPS or what have you. So, Michael, you you've been in the room. You're the one talking to both government and MLA Stone. Are flavors going to be secured in BC? I think we still have a fight ahead of us, but I think um, I think they understand, and I certainly encourage them to, you know, look at the British example, look at the scientific studies, look at the look at, look at the economics in terms of their uh, national healthcare system. Um, the, you know, the fact that in Britain you are allowed flavors. You don't want to drive 68,000 people back to being tobacco smokers because they're going to pay a tremendous cost uh, in terms of the health care bill. So, um, so, you're, so concer I, you're concerned, though. So let's just make sure. I, I, I am not in. Yeah, I am concerned, but I am cautiously optimistic uh, that that the first thing they'll, they'll look at is, is restrictions in terms of who can retail it and, and, and hopefully restrictions around advertising, et cetera. Uh, and also nicotine levels. I, I'm, I'm hoping that in terms of in terms of the regulations we're going to see in a few weeks time, that's where the focus is going to be. So are are vapors in British Columbia and the shop owners that you know their business relies on the vapor, right? So the the symbiotic relationship there. Are there are there Sorry, just got a message that apparently you guys are echoing. And if that's the case, we've like an hour and a bit in here. So um, that's a little bit late for me to find that out. Uh, we'll have to look at it later. So the symbiotic relationship between the vapors in British Columbia and the vape shop owners, 
are they together doing enough to raise alarm, to reach out to government, to do all the things that they need to do to activate, to help support the lobbying effort? And let me just say that I've been in several shops since, you know, the, the alarm should have been raised or did get raised over this in the last month. I've been to several shops that are kind of my home shops and I found, and no offense to anybody, but I found a lack of concern. Like there, there really was a complacency about it. Like, nah, they're not going to get rid of flavors. Nah, we'll just short fill. Yeah. Well, you know, I would certainly encourage uh, any vaping shop uh, owner out there to to join the CBA. Uh, anyone that's that's doing. Uh, you know, man, manufacturing of the liquids on, uh, here in Canada to join the CBA, um, and yeah, you, if, if you snooze, we all lose, right? Uh, this is not a time to be complacent. It's, it's a time to be pointing out and emphasizing the benefits of this as a harm uh, reduction uh, platform, uh, and uh, and let's not wreck it. And also, this is something I said when I did an interview on on CKNW on this matter, is that let's keep in mind that in terms of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Big Tobacco and Big Pharma have a lot of influence. And they have even more influence in terms of the FDA's political masters, you know, members of Congress, et cetera. You know, and so, you know, we're not, and so for me, I, I, I look to, again, the, the, the scientific studies uh, and the research done in the United Kingdom and where they come out, and they clearly have a pro-vaping strategy because they recognize that, they're going to save lives and they're going to save a fortune in terms of, you know, healthcare dollars by getting smokers to quit and take up vaping. Well, that's great. And then Mike, just, you know, last for you is that, um, can they get a hold of you or, I mean, you know, what, what can they do if they want to get active? Well, like I say, I go to the CBA, uh, uh, .org, uh, uh website. Uh, there's, uh, I believe there's information on there in terms of how to get involved and how to get active. Uh, you know, I can be reached, um, I mean, you know, my Twitter handle is at BC Lobbyist. Um, you know, uh, in any event, uh, I, I, I go to the CBA org dot, uh, website. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Michael. And then, Daryl, there's just two uh, follow-ups in the last to tie things up. One is a bit more technical specific, and, and I felt that it's better for you. The discussion around North America has always been pointing to UK, for instance, as if a flavor ban happens, then the short fill option is always there. And for our viewers who don't know what that is, which I find that hard to believe, but possibly, right, is, is that if the issue is you can't have flavored nicotine flavored vaping products or, or however it's worded, if you separate the flavor from the rest of the stuff, uh, then you can short fill it. So short filling is your bottle. You put most of the juice without the flavoring and including its nicotine, I guess, however you want to do that. And then it's not quite full. And then you sell the flavoring separate and then the, uh, the user can just mix the two. And how viable is that for Canada? What's the discussion on that? Because plan B discussions have been going on in the U.S. now for about a year. And I don't hear Plan B discussions in Canada, and it seems to me that if BC flavor ban happens, and also, too, we've got the issues in the East, you can speak about, too, if you can, in your last answer here. So what are the options of Plan B? So it's not just BC that this flavor ban issue is, is, is happening, is it? Well, 
No, uh, but I, I, I think that uh, if we go back and we think about what you said, you said there is what, in your estimation, 68,000 papers uh, uh, in uh, BC. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah, okay. that was the, the, the scratch pad work, yeah. Okay, so what I heard was there was 40, uh, 34,000 people who will avoid death. That's what I heard. So before I start thinking about plan B or options or what we need to do, I think that that's the core message. BC has 34,000 people who will, not buy, who will not die of combustible tobacco. So why don't we keep our focus on that, right? Youth should not have this product. It is our mission in life. And we've been doing this since March of this year to address youth uptake. We didn't ignore it. We didn't pretend it wasn't happening. We said, this is an issue. The data is a problem. But more importantly, 34,000 people in British Columbia will not die because of vaping. That is the message to legislatures. That is the message. Alberta, that's the message in Atlantic Canada. So for everyone that talks about flavors, we know that the key about flavors is this. Okay? As an adult, flavors are important, not just from enjoying the product or, or anything else, but it brings you back to memories. Any vapor will tell you. They quit, you know, they started vaping, they quit smoking, they went back to vaping four weeks or five weeks later and said, Jesus, this cigarette tastes like garbage. Because they taste like death. So I think uh, my mission, Mike's mission, our mission across the nation is to really talk about if we can avoid 34,000 people dying in the province of British Columbia, why wouldn't we be getting behind what that is? Because that's a lot different than uh, this, uh, this uh, mysterious lung illness in the United States. So that's my answer to that, Brian. Well, that's a great answer. So gentlemen, I want to thank you both for coming on the show tonight. Uh, and it was pretty much, you know, flying by the seat of our pants. And I hope our viewers got a lot out of it. And everybody, you can go to uh, CanadianVapingAssociation.org and that's the CVA's URL. And again, Mike is uh, at BC Lobbyist and that's his uh, Twitter handle that he's known by. Thanks very much, gentlemen. And for the rest of you guys, I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight. And that's it for this edition of RegWatch. Don't forget to go to support.regulatorwatch.com and uh, explore all the ways that you can help us do what we do. Thanks a lot and vape them if you got them. <laughs>